Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that roams through the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have some feedback on our social media posts, including some glorious pictures from the World Rally Championship round in Estonia. And we have two feature stories. Alan Zervis joins us to talk about pollution in cars, within the cabin, as you drive. There's been some research out by Emissions Analytics looking at the environment within vehicles in three locations, Los Angeles, Oxford in the UK and Stuttgart in Germany. And we catch up with our good friend Evan Jones, who's just been officiating at a round of the New South Wales Hill Climb Championship. One of the most interesting points that I thought came out of that is the rules and regulations you need to have in New South Wales if you are to run electric vehicles. Basically, they are so arduous that they exclude any event like this being able to have electric cars. And I think that's a shame because a great way to get interest in grassroots motor racing is for people to be able to enter some streetcars and hill climb is a great opportunity for that. How do electric cars compare? That would be a very interesting point. For more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au or there's our Facebook and Instagram sites. Just search for Cars Transport Culture. We also podcast these programs on iTunes and Spotify and we have a YouTube site as well, again under Cars Transport Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 29th of July, 2023. We put some pictures up on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram, which if you search in those sites for cars, transport, culture, you should be able to find us. The pictures were from the recently completed World Rally Championship round in Estonia and they were provided by Hyundai Motorsport. There were some great action shots in locations steeped in history and surrounded by a natural environment. I think the rally action is best captured by one picture. It's of a Hyundai i20 rally car having just come over a crest and still being airborne but it is also significantly sideways, with the wheels pointing for correction once it hits the ground. Now, responses from readers included, Chris pointed out two photos which had a glorious juxtaposition of a young lad quietly fishing beside a pond with a rally car driving by and kicking up dust, but it was of sufficient distance to leave him in his solitude. And our good friend Dean Oliver noted the pictures of the cars kicking up clouds of dust still have a certain stillness about them when you see it in the context of some of that great natural beauty and historic buildings from Estonia. Estonia is a democratic republic and said to have an advanced economy. It's situated on the eastern side of the Baltic Sea in northern Europe. To the south is Latvia and to the east is Russia. If you went across the Baltic Sea to the west, you'd come to Sweden. Estonia is described as having deep forests, a large national park, sleepy villages and adorable towns with historic churches and manors. 
in what best characterises the southern Estonian vibe. Not my words. Southern parts of Estonia are also a home to many traditional communities such as the Sitos and Old Believers. Half of the country is covered with forests, about 20% with national parks. There are more than 2,000 kilometres of hiking trails, many of them in picturesque bogs. Again, not my words. Some Estonian regions are home to just 6.5 people per square kilometre. Never been there, but gee, I'd like to go. You're listening to Overdrive. Emissions Analytics, it's an organisation that strives to measure the real-world fuel consumption of vehicles and consequent pollution levels, not in a laboratory, but out on the street. They've just done some work on the pollution levels inside cars, and they tested 97 vehicles in Los Angeles, Oxford in the UK, and Stuttgart in Germany. It's interesting to look at the results, but also to ponder what it might mean for you and me in how we might consider the features we want in a new car and what we might do while we're driving on the road. A good person to discuss that with is our good friend Alan Zervis from GayCarboys.com and he joins us on the line now. Alan, emissions analytics often challenge academic research, laboratory testing. In this case, they were particularly annoyed. Why was that? That's right, David, uh, an allegedly unethical challenge from a uh, high-profile academic. And they were looking at what happens when a internal combustion engine car is locked inside a garage, presumably with a person in it. And left the engine on. Something that most normal people, I think, would not do. Well, it's not something that you would want to promote because it may have unintended consequences and highlights what is a one fairly common method of suicide. So I think that was irresponsible, again, just depending on the emission analytics report. They did this test, and I particularly looked at the stuff driving around Los Angeles. Just the quick figures there, they say that And they're looking at two things. That's the particulate matters, things we often associate with diesel engines, and the carbon dioxide level. But firstly, particulates, which they say can have quite a significant effect, obviously, on your health. Out in the country air, about 2,600 particles per centimetre cube. That's about standard. Out of the exhaust of a typical modern diesel, it's about 10,000 per cubic centimetres. Now, the 97 models that they tested, the average concentration inside was 21,400. That's quite a lot. But by the by, the outside was that about that average as well. So here they are driving around Los Angeles Airport in an environment which has some very significant levels of particulates, which on average get into your car and are swirling around in the inside as well. Yes, it doesn't seem to make any difference whether you have the windows up or down. However, some brands, of course, have particulate filters in the in the uh, air conditioning itself, and they say it uh, takes out a lot of that fine pollution. Yes, it's a great problem of talking about averages. The results range between 9,000, nearly 400, and about 47,000, nearly 50,000 particles per cubic centimetre. So in the older cars, you not only have a bad environment you're driving through, but it tends to build up and concentrate within the vehicle. David, I'm a motorcycle rider, as you know, and uh, our 
government has, of course, told us when we're going through tunnels to wind up your windows. Mm. So I think it proves two things that, A, motorcycle riders can't wind up their windows, and also, if you do, it makes absolutely no difference. Again, depending on the vehicle you're in. Now, they say that those figures are, in fact, much higher than a idling gasoline vehicle in a single garage. So that, that to my mind, doesn't seem to be a, a diesel one that these academics apparently have done the research on. So that's saying that it's much worse than that. And that, by the way, is only idling for an hour. So let's not assume that it's safe within a garage. And that's the problem, isn't it? You don't want to send wrong messages, no matter how precise you try to be. Well, I wouldn't want to leave any kind of internal combustion engine running inside anywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's a petrol or a diesel. And that's why it feels so strange to you and I when we get into a, a, an electric car and we're in an enclosed space. We can leave it run for, to its heart content with the air conditioning on. Even when you're parked outside a school. Exactly right. And I think it does raise that point that you and I have talked about a lot, and that is the local pollution that happens there. Interestingly, they are recorded higher levels around Oxford in the UK than around the airport in Los Angeles. I think that's counterintuitive, but very interesting result. Well, it's one of the reasons, of course, why they have the entry tax into London to keep that local pollution down. UK, of course, has a higher percentage of diesel engines. No, and the other thing too, of course, David, is that uh, in recent years, after that build-up in Australia of people buying diesel cars for you know, better fuel consumption, they thought nothing of the fact that the emissions from it were higher inherently than petrol cars. Uh, it didn't really matter much one way or another, but the only way that uh, the emissions could be seen to be down was to cheat on your exam results. <laughs> and we're not mentioning any names. <laughs> the point about it then is that it is a big variation depending on the year the car was manufactured. And you would know and, and what were some of the modern things that cars are doing to both filter and be particularly efficient and effective in filtering the interior environment. Well, I've already mentioned before that uh, some of the cars now have very fine filters. Uh, and in fact, some of them say that they can withstand a gas attack, which I thought was interesting, that it'll let, you know, less than 0.001% of, of particulate matter in. But um, I'm not quite sure what that would do to you still, depending on what it is. Hmm. But also some brands shut off the outside air. You've got the option to use the nav navigation system to tell the car when it's approaching a tunnel or an overpass, uh, you know, long overpass or or begun underground for any particular time, and it turns the outside air off. This is a an interesting development of where the car knows things that are happening around it and through digital technology adapts accordingly. It becomes very important. Even some hybrid buses had the potential that they would only run on battery power when they were passing schools. Nothing to do with the driver. It can be done automatically. It is using the technology in a car in an extensive way that we might not have naturally considered. Alan, what would you do? We've talked about particulates, but of course, carbon dioxide is also a problem. How do you cope with that when you're on a long drive? I'm glad you asked that question, David, because if you read through car manuals, there is 
usually a warning about uh, driving long distances with the recirculation on, and that is don't do it. And the reason for that is CO2 levels build up in the car. So uh, not only do I drive most of the time with the recirculation off, but I also crack a window every now and then just to make sure I get uh, nice fresh air into the cabin, just for a couple of kilometres. Now, it's interesting that the car company we inferred uh, that had not done well in in being honest about the levels of pollution from their diesel cars, they also have a system in terms of whether the windows are open for a long time, not in every model, but maybe maybe most new models. What's that and how does that work? It uh, asks you a question. There's a thing pops up on the dashboard and it says uh, for vehicle efficiency, uh, it is recommended to wind the windows up. And if you press OK on the steering wheel, the car windows wind up. But I think that's more to do with fuel consumption than pollution. Oh, yes, indeed. It's the other way around. Therefore, is it reasonable? Perhaps we might consider cars in the future to have something that says you've been driving for two hours. I'll not only put a little symbol of a cup of coffee on the dashboard, but I'll ask you if you want to just uh, put the windows down for a bit and refresh it. We've tested the outside air and it's remarkably clean. Well, I think you raise a really interesting question. How many times you and I have been on many quite a long drive, but we always, the way the car launches are structured, it's never more than, say, an hour or so between breaks. Hmm. When you're doing a, say, Sydney to Brisbane or Sydney to Melbourne drive, you might be two hours between breaks. But if you were to drive all of that time with your windows up, you may become drowsy. So there's also the question of nodding off. Uh, which, you know, was, that's not good news for anybody. It's a really valid point because there's nothing malicious. And in fact, the very nature of it is that it creeps up on you. For argument's sake, you've gone past a, oh, I don't know, a farm with freshly spread manure. You wind your windows up, make sure your recirculation is on, then you just forget to put it all back to fresh air again. So it'd be very easy to drive three hours then with your uh, CO2 levels rising. Now, Razor, in a broader issue then, there's many a times you select, it might be the driving mode, it might be other things about the car, and you just leave it there and forget about it, that whether every time you get in the car, it might say, we have reset, or you know, do you realise you're in sports mode, do you want to stay in it? And then if you do drive for a I don't know, an hour or more, it might say, hey, do you want us just to give a bit of a uh, burst of fresh air? Again, measuring whether the fresh air in the cabin's better or worse than that outside. Well, apparently the uh, the Beast has its own onboard air system, so perhaps we could all get one of those. What's the Beast? The Beast, the President's car. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> it can not only withstand a, a uh, bomb attack, but a chemical one as well, so... Uh, it can be done if, if people want to do it. But I think the point is that we've the atmosphere has gotten such that governments have continued to ignore the fact that pollution has become bad and CO2 is the only one that seems to be getting the airtime at the moment. But they were looking at places in China and in India where the air quality was so bad that people had to stay home. And it wasn't just from fires. It was from vehicle emissions. They did some tests and found that the Tesla Model X actually did particularly well. It's got a bioweapon defense mode and normal modes achieving good. When I was eight, in fact, 
they say excellent perfection. He said the downside of this approach is a large physical size and a relatively high replacement cost. If you have those filters, they've got to be cleaned, haven't they? Well, not only that, they're difficult to get it. I think it was a Tesla that I saw. Uh, a friend of mine has one. And the there's one filter that's easy to get at that's near the top, but the other one you have to unscrew part of the car's front end to, to get it out, sort of under the bonnet, yeah. Somebody makes a service charge uh, more significant. Well, it was a Model 3, not a Model X. So, you know, perhaps they've uh, they've learnt a little bit in that. Look, I, I think on the odd occasion where you might drive into a, a chemical weapon attack, David, perhaps it's uh, money well spent. I would wonder then whether as a community exercise, every time you took your car in for servicing and they replaced the filter, they sent you a picture of the old filter and how dirty it is. I've always talked about local pollution and how that needs to be a very strong focus as well as global warming. If you were, and if you do, clean your own air conditioner at home regularly, you begin to realise just how much gunk there is out there that it's worth striving very hard to try and get rid of. I mean, you and I have both uh, been known in the past to replace our own air filters into the engine. And, you know, I, I remember taking out a large kind of papery concertina filter and banging it on the ground. And it looked like the inside of the dust bag of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it's a lovely test. Well, I mean, to think that otherwise, David, that would be in your lungs. I think that's the significant fact is that all of the muck that's in that filter, it's only coming from the same air that you're breathing. So you're breathing that in as well. Yes. Well, you tended to think of it in terms of dust and dirt that is off the road. But the reality is, and in this measurement these surveys show it very very strongly that it's the stuff that can get into your lungs and cause you great problems and it's not just the particulate filter from you know diesel and engine exhausts and so forth but also very fine rubber particles brake dust absolutely and that used to be uh, asbestos we're getting better but do we need to move quicker interesting questions alan lovely to talk to you thank you very much for your time thanks for having me david that's Alan Zervis from GayCarBoys.com talking about the pollution levels within a car, not just the general ambient pollution levels outside. You're listening to Overdrive. We've reported on Overdrive our colleague in Melbourne who has gone to the Rob Roy hill climb, a historic hill climb, and Chris has put his Mark One Jaguar in that. I've not driven many, or in fact, I've only driven one hill climb. That's the MG Car Club hill climb in Queensland. But there is still a number of hill climbs around, and our good friend and road tester Evan Jones has officiated in Tamworth at a recent New South Wales event. He joins us on the line now. Evan, is there a competition? Is it New South Wales or Australia wide for hill climbing? Well, actually, it's a, it's a bit of both, mate. Actually, uh, Australia, Australian Hill Climbing Championship is a single event, uh, where the New South Wales Hill Climb Championship is run over, I think, about six six rounds at different different events. Where are those events? Because I don't remember too many hill climbs in New South Wales. You've got Ringwood Hill Climb, which is north of Raymond Terrace. Uh, which is also where the Australian's being held this year. 
there's actually two at Bathurst, uh, both on Mount Panorama. So one running wrong direction at the top, top of uh, top of Conrod, it goes backwards up through the S's. And then you have uh, on the other side, the more traditional direction that runs up through the cutting. So that's the two hill climbs at Bathurst. There's one at Kempsey, which I haven't been to. There's one at Grafton, which is an interesting one because you can actually go wrong direction on that one. And there's Tamworth and Tamworth, is a bit of a cheat because uh, it actually runs around a go-kart track and the elevation's about a foot. Okay, so it's not, not exactly a climbing a hill. <laughs> no, no, but every event every event worth, is um, valuable. So, uh, What sort of categories do they have? Well, it's interesting with hill climb, basically almost everyone is a winner. Uh, they have lots of different categories. They have various uh, open wheeler categories like traditional Formula V, Formula Ford. Then they have um, Formula Libra, various uh, categories. Uh, they have sports sedans. They have historics. They have um, production cars. Basically, this very similar categories you'd find in racing or in super sprints are translated over to hill climbs. You get many people just putting their production car in it, a bit like, you know, sort of the amateur dragways. Yeah, there are a few. There's um, there's blokes who have um, your average Australian sedan that's no longer registered, so they may have lightened them, put a cage in, uh, thrown some slicks at it. Uh, then you've got the other extreme where you have the bloke who turn up in their road cars, but their road cars are things like Audi RS4s and, and the like, and, and Sky, Nissan Skylines and things like that. Given we've just uh, driven the EV6 GT Kia, all electric, which has a staggering acceleration, and it, of course a hill climb is just a short, sharp dash, one car on the, on the hill climb at a time, I wonder whether there might not move to be some more electric vehicles start to, production electric vehicles start to make their presence. There were uh, a couple of years ago, actually somebody started with a Nissan Leaf of all things. <laughs> so it didn't really make that much of an impression, but uh, there's been a couple of Teslas have run uh, in the past years. But what's happened recently, Motorsport Australia have reviewed what's perceived as potential fire hazard for uh, electric cars when they're really put Pushing. to the limit continuously and We've seen they're quite a difficult thing to extinguish. So the uh, requirement right now to run an electric car at a Motorsport Australia event uh, for the organisers is quite onerous. Oh, okay. For instance, you have to have, effectively, you have to have a um, something that looks like a container, a shipping container with the roof cut off full of uh, salt water and something big enough to be able to pick up the burning car and throw it into said uh, container. That means picking it up at any part on the circuit or wherever it might be. Yep, yep. and carry it, carrying it to that, yeah. And effectively says no. Correct, correct. Yeah, until until a better system can be found to control lithium fires, um, that's the way it's going to be. And the, the, interesting, the main reason for the salt water is the salt apparently helps to discharge the battery. Oh, okay. It's an electrolyte. Yeah, and the water's just there basically to hopefully drown the drown the fire and to cool the battery. If you pull it out too early, it'll reignite. 
Like that says a lot. So what uh, caught your fancy at the Tamworth event? What car made its presence felt? There are a couple of interesting cars. Uh, the Volkswagens are quite popular because most of their weight is down the back of the car and they're rear-wheel drive. And What, old Beetles? Old, well, yeah, things that have a silhouette of an old Beetle, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a one car, for instance, uh, the driver is, is being relocated to the centre of the car and it runs a 2.8-litre a uh, combi motor that's been modified to within an inch of its life. And as it turns out, the chassis is, in fact, an ex-Formula 3 car. So picture a Formula 3 car with the body of a Beetle dropped over it <laughs> with, a, with a massive combi motor. That's like the drag funny cars. Mm. Well, it, actually, it does lift the twirls. It, if it accelerates really hard, it can lift its front wheels. You mentioned Audis. There was a RS4 there. Yes. Yeah, we, we were talking about registered cars being driven to the track. There was a gentleman there in a red uh, Audi RS4. And an RS4, for some reason, like all performance Audis, is a station wagon. But uh, it runs, I think they run a massive V8 in them and it's all-wheel drive. And it is one hot vehicle. You've never seen anything accelerate or actually corner like it was an all-wheel drive. Very, very impressive vehicle. Now, it's road registered. It is technically bog standard because that's how they come out of the factory. And he quite often turns up in the top three or four of all competitors in some hill climbs. And that includes the... Um, open wheelers. Herbert Bill open wheelers, yeah. This thing, a phenomenal car, yeah. I've driven some Audis down through the Tasmania and also in Ireland, oh, where was it? Uh, out in the uh, that southeastern area of the vineyard area of Victoria. Mm -hmm. Rob Roy, no, no, no. Rob Roy's elsewhere. No, not not on the hill climb, but on just some nice country road. Oh yeah, yep. Then those Audis were—they're the most enjoyable Audis, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So how many cars? It wasn't a very big field. It was about thirty-five cars. Okay. Yeah. They all had four runs. Tamworth's not that f close to, uh, you know, Sydney or that. It's a five-hour trip to get there or so. Yes, that's right. Um, and but people come from all over the state. Uh, there are people who come down from Wollongong. Oh, because Wollongong has a, quite a famous uh, hill climb track at Dapto. And so they have uh, a number of competitors. They used to boast the uh, Australian champion for many years, so... That's a public road that's closed off, isn't it? Yes. Yes, sorry. It, it's, a, it's a road that uh, goes up to a, um, a closed mine, but it's still a public road. And there are people who live along it. The people who live towards the end of it are gracious enough to uh, allow the road to be used for a couple of times a year. You've got to be dedicated because a, a typical run would be, depending on the you know where it is, about a minute or so, wouldn't it? A minute A minute would be a long, a long one. Um, they usually run about 40, about 40 to 45 seconds, yeah. Some are a bit longer. You travel a long way and get f four runs at about 40 seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's keen. Oh, fortunately, they get practice sometimes the day before. Like they, they did at um, Tamworth. The national event, the Australian Championship event, which will be run at Ringwood near uh, Raymond Terrace, that will be over for three days. So one day's practice and two days' competition. All right, so a dedicated group of people that uh, follow it around and you officiated at this event? Yes, that's correct, yeah. What was your role? 
I was a uh, second steward. It's these events need people like you to uh, keep them going. Uh, that they would undoubtedly grind to a halt without it. Evan, lovely to talk to you. Uh, interesting. I didn't uh, think much about electric cars and hill climbs. I uh, got excited there for a moment, but now I understand what the circumstances are. Thanks very much for your time. No worries. And that's Evan Jones, our road tester and safety expert, who is also officiates at many motorsports events and uh, did so at the hill climb in Tamworth. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Evan Jones, Alan Zervis, Rob Fraser and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or link to our social pages under the name Cars Transport Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.